Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Let's get into the show. If you are here, you are listening or watching to my first ever live show with an audience. This was an incredible experience. My guest, Nancy Economo, uh, the founder and CEO of Watts of Love. You're gonna hear from her in just a second. She was a fantastic guest. She's in the world changers category for a reason. She's changing the world, one light at a time. This was a recording of our live show. This was recorded in front of a live audience at Catholic University on October 12th. So it's coming out a little bit late. I understand this is the second episode of season four. I really hope you guys enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it and talking to Nancy. Let's get right into it. All right, Nancy, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and some background? Yeah, absolutely. So Nancy Economo, uh, born and raised in Chicago, and I'm actually a mom of five boys. And how Lots of Love began was in 2008, I went on a trip to the Philippines. And when I was there, you know, I was just really curious, like, what does poverty look like? And I had an opportunity to go to a feeding program. And when I was at that feeding program, there was a young girl whose face was all burnt. And you know, I looked at the teachers, I said, well, what happened? You know, what's wrong with this little girl? They were putting toothpaste on her burns. And they're like, oh, this happens all of the time. Children are burnt by kerosene. They don't have lighting. And so every single night, you know, they have to go in front of like a small kerosene jar and it's highly flammable. And as a mom of five boys, I thought, what is it like every single night having to put your child in front of kerosene and not having electricity? That's a really tough decision that they have to make, whether you have light or, you know, you're going to put a dangerous light source in your house. Yeah, and it's, it's either in, they're in darkness or they, they use this. And um, after that trip, I came home from the Philippines and, you know, I had a house full of babies and little boys, but I, I just really felt compelled, like God was asking me, to bring solar lights to people. Wow, that's incredible. So how long after you had this experience and you kind of had this uh, you know, full aspect of, wow, things are different other places, did you start Watts of Love? Yeah, so after that trip, I came home and I just really started dreaming of like, what would I call it? And I came up with the name Watts of Love and um, finally thought, okay, in 2012, how can I, you know, having this vision of lighting the world is a great idea, but you have to come up with like, what is the first step? So I registered the name with the state of Illinois and just started taking all of those small little steps. And so in 2013, I ordered a thousand solar lights to go back to the Philippines because I felt like that's where my heart was changed and transformed. And so when I got to the Philippines, I shipped a thousand lights to this very remote island and um, I got there and all 1,000 lights were stuck in customs. Oh my gosh. What was, so leading up to that, you had just registered the name, you're thinking about, okay, they need light, I'm gonna bring light. Where did you find these lights and what, how did you kind of pay for that excursion? Yeah, um, um, so the whole journey was just starting to share my dream and telling people about Watts of Love. 
and giving them the opportunity to start to donate. Um, so all the donations came in and just uh, through a contact in China, we started finding different types of lights. I thought, okay, what's the best light that I can bring? So you get to the Philippines, you've made a you know, massive financial contribution with your money, other people's money, and all of the lights are stuck in customs. What is going through your head? You're trying to start this thing to help other people and, and now you're getting roadblocks at every step. Yeah, so that first, you know, you're there and I thought, I've taken money, right, from people, told them that I was gonna deliver these lights and that I was a failure. But I had three lights stuck in my suitcase and I thought, okay, you know, it slowed me down looking at these three lights. How am I gonna distribute? I have a whole island of 15,000 people who need lights. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna find the people that are in the most critical need. And the picture behind us was that very first person. Um, so I went to her house and it's Nai Nai, which is old lady in, in Tagalog and Filipino. <laughs> and so we went there and said, you know, Nai Nai, I'm here to give you this light. And she burst out crying and she said, I cannot accept this light from you. I'm like, well, why not? And she said, I'm too poor for you to love me. Wow. I've been cursed by God, I've been abandoned by my family, and my government doesn't even know I exist. That is an insanely sad position to be in, to feel like you're, you're just not worth it. So she says this to you, obviously you're, I'm sure, shocked. How do you go from that point and convincing her that she is worthy of love and she's also worthy of attention and people helping her out? Well, I was just shocked that giving somebody a solar light had that type of heart connection. But I'm like, no, you know, Nai Nai, you're exactly why we're here. You're loved, you're valuable. And, you know, by the end of it, she you know, stopped crying and she was raising up her hands and saying, I may be poor, but I'm loved. Wow. Just from a single light. A solar light. And that was your beginning. That was the beginning. So you have this incredible experience you see that even just something as simple as electric light can change somebody's life. Where do you go from there? What aspirations did you have for your organization? Yeah, so, you know, it was, I'm gonna share kind of those first three lights because those are the aspirations and really the pillars of Watts of Love. And um, the next night we went to a family, uh, her name was Emily and she's a mother of seven children. So as a mom, I thought, okay, I can really identify with her. And when we got there, I said, you know, Emily, you know, there she is with her, with her, so her kerosene lamp, you can see it's really dull. The children can't, can't see very well. But the next morning I woke up and I thought, okay, what's it like to live in complete darkness or kerosene? What do you do as a mom? So I ran down to her house the next morning and there I found her. She had made 1,000 bamboo barbecue sticks. Oh my gosh. And so there she is. There she is holding her bamboo barbecue sticks. She instantly became a businesswoman overnight. And for me, it was learning like, oh my gosh, you didn't burn kerosene. You didn't pay 20 pesos for kerosene. And now you made these bamboo barbecue sticks and you became a businesswoman overnight. That's incredible. I can't also imagine uh, trying to start any sort of business or any sort of venture without having time at night to get things done. Because, you know, during the day, you said she's a mother of seven children. Yep. 
she's worried about the children, she's trying to you know, get food or work and, and earn money. And really those nighttime hours are so important because the kids are asleep, you have that opportunity to do something else and to kind of get out of your situation potentially. But if you're ending up spending all of your money on the availability to do that, you can't go from there. So in a single night, a single light completely changed her life. And this was like a learning opportunity for me. I'm like, I, I can't believe what light's doing for this woman, right? After she had been, you know, lost all hope. That's incredible. So talk to me a little bit about the spending on kerosene. You said it was like 20 pesos. How much of their income goes towards lighting their homes at night? Yeah, so burning kerosene is 30% of a family's income. Wow. So what that means is the equivalent here is like an American's mortgage. That's insane. So when we go in and um, we bring solar lights, it's for the entire community. It's like paying off everybody's mortgage for the next 10 years. So it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's truly incredible. And two, in that last picture, you see like kind of uh, the house and, and where they're living. A lot of that looks highly flammable. Is it common for houses to burn down? You said people are getting yeah. burned often. Yeah. So, you know, they have thatched roofs and bamboo walls. And what I have now learned is that over a million people every year die of like kerosene related deaths. So it's a oh staggering gosh. amount of people that are burned and injured and you know, we just, we, we are completely unaware of that here. Yeah, that's nuts. The thing to me that gets me is that they're ending up spending all of their money on something that is poisoning them, it's hurting them, and it's keeping them reliant on the same thing. If all of your money consistently goes towards one thing and you need it, but it's hurting you, you, you can't really expect to go anywhere. So talk to me about educating people uh, and in terms of when you first started giving these out, what was kind of how you did the talk track and to educate them about how this was gonna work and how it was gonna actually change their lives? Yeah, so I'm gonna share the story of the third light because it was those first three lights that really, again, were the pillars of lots of love and how I learned you know, how to move forward. And this particular family that you see, um, when I got there, the husband said, don't speak to my wife, only speak to me. She has no education. She won't understand how to operate the light. So I was asking him what the circumstances were like for his family. And he said, well, tonight for dinner, we licked our finger, dipped it in salt, and we rubbed salt on our tongues. Just salt? Just salt. So it would trick their bodies into the fact that they had eaten. So this is like the, the poorest of the poor. It was something that I had never heard before. That's insane. So, you know, I showed him the light. And what's so amazing about that story is gave them the light. I came back to the United States. 30 days later, the thousand lights were released. I went back to the Philippines. My local partners were like, Nancy, we need help distributing the lights. And I went back and that uneducated woman came down from the mountaintop because she heard I was there. She said, Nancy, I want you to know we have never gone hungry one day. I'm like, I don't understand how has a light fed your family? And she said, well, every day I pretend that I'm buying kerosene. So I hide a little bit of money. And that's when I thought, wow, like giving a light and letting them know that they're loved and they're valuable is important. 
but it also comes with a bigger responsibility of empowering them and that financial literacy that how do you teach people who can't write, can't read, and can't count? So it was from her that I learned this model and that I came up with was this financial literacy. And the picture behind me is just a whole group that you can see is when we go in, we have a whole community and it's one light per home. So this is how we do the teaching and the, um, the kind of the community buy-in. And then the next photograph is the empowerment model, which I know it looks super simple, but it probably took me about eight different, you know, icons and changing it and trying to figure out what transcends over language and different cultures. And this is what we've come up with, where we say, okay, you no longer burn a kerosene in your home. You have a new light, which means that you start saving money. We talk about their children's education can go up. We talk about safety and security. And then just like Emily, what can you do at night to make you prosper your family? And then the bottom half of that is where we break it down per day, per month, and per year. And so this is where they don't quite understand it, but then we break it down into chickens, goats, and pigs, and cows. Right. And usually in the first week, they can purchase a chicken. And what happens is that chicken starts to multiply. And the next photograph um, is just an amazing testimony of what that financial literacy does for a family. And this particular woman, her name was Ruth, and she was a grandmother of 12 grandchildren. Whoa, that's a big family. It's a big family. And when we met her in, it was June of 2019, you know, she had, her husband had passed away. Her two children had died of AIDS. She was responsible for all 12 of the grandchildren. By herself? By herself. Couldn't feed them. You know, couldn't pay for their education. We gave her a light, and I came back in November. And what was amazing is we went back to visit her. She ran and grabbed her sheet of paper, and she had circled the chicken. And she knew she needed to get 10 chickens to get to a pig. And by, June, by uh, November, you can see that she had her piglets. And she said, Nancy, you see that thatched roof behind me? you come back in January, that's going to be a tin roof. And wow. you can see she drew that in on her, on her piece of paper. That's incredible too. And I think uh, a huge testimony to the success of the project is the financial literacy part of it. Um, you would think that a lot of people in these places don't think about savings or building up to different things because every single week is a struggle for food or every day is a struggle for food you know, lighting your home, taking care of your children and school. So did you hit any barriers when you were trying to kind of bridge that gap between, okay, then you're going to keep what you have and save it and then try and build up to something else? Yeah, so it's, the barrier is sometimes just with the education. They, you know, there's not a banking system. They've never heard of anything like this. So, you know, when we created... Um, a new box, we put a slit inside of the box and really giving them you know, this little slit so we, we, when we do the teaching, we're like, okay, every day you are going to put your money, instead of going to the kerosene dealer or instead of going in to buy batteries, every day you are going to pay yourself. And so that's a whole new concept and we'll say, okay, 
We know you don't may not understand how you're going to get to a chicken, but just just start taking that first step and just start saving your money. And so if they do it, they start to see success. If they don't, they'll see their neighbors and they'll be like, hey, Ben already has five chickens. And, you know, he started <laughs> off at the same position that I, so there's a little friendly competition. And then that might motivate them to kind of start saving. Sure. Talk to me a little bit about entrepreneurship in these countries. Uh, so, you know, entrepreneurship, like we talked about, it's a lot of late nights, different things like that. And spending time outside of just the survival, it's adding that time on to be able to work, to be away from your kids. So before programs like yours come into these areas, are there people with businesses? Do people dream about starting businesses and it's just they can't get to that point or do they not even think about doing anything other than survival? Yeah, you know, it, it's so interesting because our goal at Lots of Love is really to go to those dark, very remote places that we can get to. And I think, um, you know, like in Malawi, there's substance farmers and, you know, they literally are working in the fields all day long. So the thought of doing something else, you know, they might come home and the women might start making mats or um, they just don't have much options. So a lot of hopes just start to die. And then when you receive a solar light, right? So now your work day has extended almost six hours. So your children are studying and you're, you're actually able to see a future. Sure. What effects on children has this light had in particular? So you mentioned like being able to study. What are the school systems like? And then what changes when you bring in light? Yeah, so the school systems, and again, I'll talk about Malawi. Um, it's a place that we've really focused on. Usually they'll get to about the sixth grade level, and then you have to be invited into high school. Really? And in order to get into high school, you have to pass the exam. And the stories that we're getting back from students who, you know, they can't study at night, and now they can actually study, and they're the top, they went from the bottom of their class to the top of their class. So it really just accelerates their studying and their test taking. Wow, that's incredible. So we've talked about your first couple of lights. You get more into this process of, okay, we need lights to go different places. How did the design of the light change from what you originally bought, just from China, and to where you are now, where you actually have a patent for your lights? Right, so, you know, just when I was starting, I thought, well, I didn't even know if people needed lights. So I was kind of just imagining what I should bring, what, what could work in their environment. And so the light behind me is our original light, where it was a two-piece unit, where they put the solar panel outside, they plug, chuck, uh, charge it into the, the light, so it's the two pieces, and the solar panel would wind up getting stolen because they're out farming or fishing, and, it, and so I designed a backpack. So I knew it had to physically be on them. But our light was, you know, about this big, and I would look at it, and I'm like, we're shipping air. And I could fit about 12 lights in a box. And so I knew if I was able to design and patent our own light, how can I make it for the environment, these harsh environments where it's dirty and, you know, sandy and there's hurricanes and different things like that. So it was taking everything that I had seen in the field and coming back and then literally designing and cutting, cutting apart lights and 
taping things together. Um, I'm going to show you. you know, so now we have, this is our light. So it's one piece. The solar panel is on the back. It goes in the sun for 10 hours to charge. And then in the center, there's a raised heart. So the other thing that I noticed is that people don't have glasses. So I put the raised heart so they could actually feel where to push. And then we were in a leper colony in Kathmandu, Nepal, and that was really one of the other inspirations for our light. People with disabilities, so that we wanted to make sure that they could turn it on and you push and hold in the center. That first setting will last 120 hours. Wow, off of a 10 hour charge. Off of a 10 hour charge. And then you have 10 hours. Two and a half. Oh. So this is like in, you know, this is over 275 lumens. Surprisingly bright. And then there's an emergency stroke. <laughs> so it also comes on this lanyard so they can wear it around their neck. And then this unclips. And then they can wear it as a headlamp. That's so awesome. now their hands are free. So really what the light does is it goes into places where people have kind of lost a lot of their time and it brings that part back to them. So you said that you've given lights out and then you've come back to these places. What is the, I guess, not necessarily failure, but what in terms of people not changing their lives? Do you see any of that? Is there, are there people that you give lights to and they just stay completely the same? So, you know, our goal is to empower them, right? We give them, I say, we're teaching them to fish. We're giving them the fishing pole. And the responsibility is up to them. And we make that very clear in our teaching that this is, you know, it's one light per family. And this is the only light that you're going to receive. And when we go back and revisit, the majority of the people are helping and you know we have people saying you know i'm 60 years old i'm i'm a widow i've never had a chicken and now i have chickens and i can pay for medicine um you know but there are people who it's charity right that they're not they're right. not going to step forward but we focus on the elderly and i'm okay with that because this light will last 10 years and just really to make their life a little bit easier but I would say the majority of the people are really starting to help themselves. Yeah, and I like that concept too. Um, you know, we've had conversations about your organization before. And the thing that always strikes me is that a lot of these groups that I'll donate to or that, you know, get pushed around on social media, they have a lot of attention and they get a lot of support. But when you look at their actual impacts, it seems like it's more of an investment. So like, yes, like 20 years down the road, this is gonna make it so that these three issues are gone. Uh, and again, that's something that I like about your light. It changes people's lives overnight. But the other nice thing is that the investment that they have to make personally to get the light is not to you, it's to themselves. They don't have to come back to you to get it fixed because it's durable and they only get one. So all of that responsibility of carrying that light that you've given to them is all connected back to them. There's no, you know, connecting back to lots of love. Everything that they do with that light becomes their own personal mission. And like you said, if they decide not to do it, then that's their prerogative. 
Um, so I just, I really like that aspect of it because I think there's a lot of organizations that keep themselves connected to the people and sometimes that creates reliance issues. Absolutely. And we want people to be independent, but then we also want them to know this is an opportunity and you can do it. We believe it's possible. That's awesome. So talk to me about some of the other applications of the lights. We've talked about studying, becoming an entrepreneur, lighting your home at night. What other things have you seen people doing with the lights? Yeah, so the picture behind me is um, in Malawi, we work with an elephant uh, sanctuary. And with the flashing strobe, like I put the flashing strobe on the light thinking, oh, okay, you know, like that can be a 911, you know, communication. But we went back to this, um, to the rangers and the surrounding community outside of this elephant sanctuary and the rangers use the lights. So now they're able to, with elephants escape every night, they break through the fence because they know the food on the other side is better. So the people who live outside, they use the flashing light to alert the rangers where the elephants are. And one of the stories that we got back was the only thing that will scare off an elephant is a bright flashing light. Really? Because it's so unnatural to their environment. So the next photograph is a gentleman. When we went back there, he you know, was so thankful because he had watermelon. And of course the elephants were coming and eating his watermelon because it was so tasty that he had never had a full crop. But after having the light scaring off the elephants, he had an entire crop that he was able to sell in the city for $700. Wow. So I think the impacts uh, remind me of what people say a lot about different um, nonprofit organizations, which is that you do one thing and then it has kind of a ripple effect out. So when you envision kind of a future for lots of love and the different impacts that it will have, what do you see, what, what further applications do you see in the future? Yeah, so right now, I mean, one of our goals is, is to stay focused on the family. I think the way to impact a nation is to start at the bottom and to impact the family because once the family is taken care of and they can see um, that they can eat every day, then they can start looking at their community. So if a well comes in, right, because water is super important, now they're going to have the resources and the ability to, to participate in maintaining the well. So, um, yeah, I think we're just going to keep looking family by family and village by village. Sure. So what are the different places that you have been? We talked about the Philippines and then Malawi. Yeah. Where else have you been? So lots of love since 2013. We're in about 52 different countries and we've distributed over 70,000 lights throughout the world. Wow, that's incredible. What would you say are some of your countries that you're gonna focus on more in the future? So we talked about your focus on Malawi. What are some other areas that you see as, you know, in dire need of your yeah. service? So what we did is we took the entire world and put it into the least electrified, poorest uh, nation, and then highest kerosene consumption, and kind of came up with a list. And I'd say that's kind of like our, our bucket list and kind of our, our North Star to, to look at. Um, but in, in Africa, we're looking at Malawi, Kenya, and Uganda are really areas that were launching this lighthouse program where we really start to create like a franchise model. 
And then we're also looking at the Philippines because that's an area, they have over 7,200 different islands and every island is very isolated and they use a tremendous amount of kerosene. Sure. So, uh, yeah, that's right. right now, that's, those are the areas of focus. Right. Talk to me about the impact for women specifically. Um, you know, we, you were telling that story earlier about the husband who said, don't talk to my wife, she's not gonna understand it. Uh, obviously in a lot of these places uh, and a lot of poor countries, we see cultural differences in how women are treated or respected. So in some of these areas where there are huge differences from how we live in our society, what impact are these lights having on the lives of the women that they come to the hands of? Yeah, so, you know, the women are the ones who have the children and they're the caretakers of the home. And um, we really focus on women. And another area that I'm going to talk about, and again, this is in Malawi, there's something called child brides. And this is not just a Malawi problem, this is a global problem. So it, it happens everywhere. Um, but we're working with a tribal chief that reversed, I've read anywhere from 1,000 to 3,000 child brides marriages. And although that sounds great, right? Like you reversed all these marriages and the children get to go home. But the truth is, is that the family were out of resources and didn't want the children. So they really? sold them off, right? And now the marriages have been um, dissolved and the children are going home and the parents don't want them. So this month, we brought 1,500 lights to this area in Malawi called Dedza, and we're working with this tribal chief to get every single child bride um, a light so that she can start educating herself, she can create a business, but then also there's really immediate relief to the family financially. So we're gonna start looking at nations and working with local um, officials and finding out where the child bride marriages are the highest, because that means that community is out of resources and they're, they're desperate. Sure. So we're gonna start really tracking that and going for those particular communities. Wow, that's incredible. And so talk to me about some of the women that you've met or interacted with that have been impacted. Yeah, so another area in Kenya, um, I'm just, Again, this is something that we discovered during COVID with our local partners. Um, it's a phenomenon called sex for fish. And again, I'm gonna talk about Kenya, but this is not a Kenya problem. It's, it's a global problem um, where the women, at the end of the day, they're selling their bodies, they're selling their children because they need fish to either eat or to take to the market and sell. And so in the last few months, we've been able to go to this particular island where this is really um, a huge issue. Uh, we gave all of the women a light. And now, you know, the women have come together. They bought a boat. They're fishing. Um, there's, there's a quote from one of the women where she said, um, That's okay. So um, there's a quote that she said, you know, thank you for giving me back a piece of my body that I thought I had lost forever through a solar light. So it's really bringing back dignity to the women and it's giving them other options besides selling their bodies. That's incredible. I think too that quote is very indicative of just how tremendous the impact has been. Um, I can't imagine feeling like I had lost 
part of myself because I didn't have light. You know, I think that a lot of the issue here is that we don't think about light as something that is a scarce resource. You know, we're in a giant lecture hall with a bunch of lights on us right now. It's not something that comes to mind, but um, I think just the fact that people are taking back parts of their lives, they're changing their lives, but also getting back parts of their body that they thought were just completely gone. I think that's just incredible. And I really honestly have not heard of any other organization that's had this amount of impact that quickly and at that scale. So that's incredible. Yeah, and there was, um, thank you, because, you know, I never thought that light would have this type of impact. And in 2016, we had NYU do a, a capstone study of the impact of Watts of Love. And they came back and they said, we, you know, we interviewed people who had received lights and they had had the lights for about two years. And they said, we kept hearing two words from the people we were interviewing. I'm like, really, what are the two words? And they said, freedom and self-worth. Wow. Through a solar light. And that just has stuck with me that we're giving people freedom from kerosene, you know, freedom, you know, to choose what they want to do. We're not coming in there and saying, okay, you have to be a farmer. We're going to teach you to sow. We're like, no, what are the God-given destinies inside of your heart? And now you have the time and the light to make that happen. And self-worth, the way we give the lights out, you know, we make sure that we hand each light to each person. We treat them with dignity. We treat them with respect. And to say to them, like, I believe that you can start saving your money. I believe you can have a chicken in seven days. I believe you're going to get to a goat. What is your big dream? And when we ask people, what is your big dream? They just go silent because nobody has ever asked them that. And they've never allowed themselves to dream. Wow. All because they don't have access to light. That's incredible. So I'm seeing this picture here. I really like this exchange. Everyone looks super happy. Describe to me how you started giving out these lights and, and you talk about dignity and respect. So talk to me about the process of actually giving them out and then who helps you with your organization in terms of the physical handing out. Yeah, so um, right before COVID happened, we started this lighthouse program um, where I, the first three years, it was Nancy hand delivering lights home to home. Like it was very slow, <laughs> very methodical. You know. It, we weren't scaling. And I'm like, this is amazing. And in 2016, I wanted to bring people because I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but I wanted Americans to come and see like, my gosh, like we can change a nation. Like this is unbelievable. So I started bringing global travel team members, but I knew that it had to be bigger than us. And so in 2019, we came up with this franchise called the Watts of Love Lighthouse model where we train and equip local people, kind of the Watts of Love way, and treating you know, dignity and leadership skills. We have 50% men, 50% women. We give women a voice and a leadership role. And you can see Maria here is handing the light out. And so our local partners will get the list of every homeowner. They'll call that person's name. They'll come up, they'll receive the light. And then they'll sit down and we train every single person one-on-one -on -one so when they, when they leave, they know how to operate the light. That's awesome. That's incredible. Talk to me about 
the people that travel with you? So is it mainly just people from the United States that want to help out, or do you pick up teams elsewhere? Yeah, so it's mostly, well, it's been throughout the world, but most of the people are here throughout the United States. So we bring college students, we've brought, you know, anywhere from, I think, 13 up to 75. So we've had Vietnam vets, we've had uh, CEOs of corporations. And what I like is, you know, you don't need a special skill set. Can you sit down? Can you be patient? Can you look at the person in front of you and love them and teach them how to use the light? So it's, it's very intentional. Um, and so anybody who travels with lots of love has a specific role. And then we get to sometimes just go back and celebrate with them what they've been able to do with their light. That's incredible. So I want to talk about the length of time that these lights last. So you mentioned that they last 10 years. You're coming up now, well, we're getting closer to 10 years since you've given out your first lights. How do you guarantee that they're going to last that long? Is it all about the durability of it or do you teach them about how to take care of it? What does that look like? Yeah, so when we when we do their training, we make sure that they you know, don't put it in the rain, keep, you know, don't build a fire and have the light close to it because we've seen <laughs> all of those things um, happen. So we, we teach them that responsibility. But I know, like within a few months, they've purchased chickens, they've really, we've released the finances. And if that happens, our goal for the next year or two is to create, um, we've already designed a red light. And so that will be a for sale model so that we're not gonna leave them in the dark if theirs gets lost or stolen. They understand how important it is to have a solar light. And the people behind us that you can see are our local leaders. And what I imagine is in the next year or two is we're gonna have this red light. So we'll distribute 17,000 lights over, over three years or with the lighthouse model, and that we can start selling the lights for very low cost that they'll be able to repurchase them. And most of the time they realize, oh my gosh, like we need two lights. Like somebody's going farming and they leave everybody in the dark. So we, we know that they're going to want two lights. Sure. So tell me about these leaders that you have uh, in these different areas. How, how are they uh, selected and then what do they help out with in the organization? Yeah, so our local partner is, is everything we do is with a relationship. We make sure that we have a good relationship with our local people. And then we have them identify the local leaders. And so I want to find, you know, young students, um, people who maybe don't, you know, their education might be less than. So I want to give them an opportunity to, to shine. And you can see there's a young woman who has albinism, right? So she's um, an albino in Malawi, and um, they're really persecuted by the witch doctors there. They're actually hunted. It's horrible. Oh gosh. So, you know, we wanted to give them an opportunity that by changing culture and giving Teramike, that's her name, an opportunity to come in with the education, the good news of a light, right? That people are starting to see her as a human. And they're seeing her as, you know, because there there's superstitions that she's just a ghost. But now she's coming in with this education and, um, to see her transform from the beginning when she was first our leader to where who she is today has been incredible. I bet. So yeah, That's amazing. really proud of that. That's awesome. Talk to me about some of the numbers behind 
your impact. You mentioned the Lighthouse Project. So what in terms of scaling and then what kind of impact have you had? Yeah, so, um, so with the Lighthouse, like when we started looking at how are we gonna start like lighting nations and investing is when we have a local partner, we'll say, okay, for the next three years, we're gonna give you 17,000 lights. And each light, every family has seven, approximately the global average is seven people per home. So you can see with 17,000 lights, it's 119,000 lives in a thousand days. And then this is staggering, but $7.9 million is saved and reinvested in that community. And that's what used to go up in smoke. And we had Goldman Sachs do an analysis, so it's $155 a purse, a family, times three years. And, it is, and I look at these numbers and the impact of lots of love is tangible. When we go back the next year, all of a sudden what used to be thatched roofs are now tin roofs. You can see there's more chickens, there's goats, there's cows. Like you can physically see that the community is starting to change. So it's, it's exciting to see how Lots of love aligns with all 17 of this UN sustainable sustainability development goals. That's incredible. That's awesome. Well, Nancy, what else do you want to tell people about lots of love? How can they get involved? What can they do to help out? Yeah, so anybody can get involved. You know, there's three ways. So you can follow us on social media, whether that's Instagram or Facebook, share our posts. You know, we'd love for people just to even sponsor one light. One light, we fundraise $50, so that's you know manufacturing, shipping, paying our local leaders, um, you know, become part of the solution. Because I think in order to impact the bottom 1% of the world, we need to engage the top 1% of the world and we need to help. Um, but then also really, you know, I'd love for people to come with us and the world is starting to open up again. Next week, we're going to Uganda and it's our hope and desire that uh, next summer that we can start taking teams here from Catholic University. That's awesome. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, so I wanted to open it up. If anybody has any questions for Nancy, we can do those now. Thanks so much for talking to us, Nancy. Um, my question relates to uh, business and entrepreneurial ventures in general. So you were someone who was not interested in business before you started Lots of Love, and then you came into Lots of Love, and everything ramps up really quick. Your product is stuck in customs, and you run into a lot of roadblocks that you don't expect. I know for me, as an undergraduate, I'm a senior currently. Um, I feel like I have hesitation sometimes to start a different business because, well, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know who I talk to about this. How did you overcome the hesitation about traveling into the unknown and jumping into things head first, where you guys figure it out on the go, or if you could just talk to that, that would be awesome. Yeah, you know what? You just have to believe in yourself. Sure. And you just have to take that, you know, I thought, okay, what's the worst thing that happens? Right? I, I'm trying, right? And I just felt like nobody else is doing this, and... Or, I didn't think any, what, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? And then really as far as like, you know, I was able to design and patent 
my own solar light and UL has certified it. So and it was a two and a half year process. When you have a dream, right? So this is a non-for-profit, which I think people will come alongside of you. And if you have the confidence um, in yourself and also what you're doing, I think there's, you know, Molex was a corporation that came alongside of me and said, we see your vision. We see what you're trying to do and we're willing to help. So, you know, I think if you have a dream, don't give up on it, but it's all about the first step. Just look, you have that big dream up here, but it's all of those little steps that are gonna get you to the big dream. Thank you. Yeah, good for you. Awesome, yeah, so my question pertains to joy and happiness. I can imagine that for a lot of these people, it can get very depressing at times when they're not having light, not having food. Um, so can you touch on the level of joy in their lives when you first you know, interact with them and maybe how that evolves over time. Um, I'm sure they have, you know, outlets for happiness and outlets of, of love and charity in their lives. So how does that look like um, in those areas? When you walk into a community and they know lots of love is showing up, it's like every single family has won the lottery. And I didn't realize that at the beginning until um, in the Philippines, one of my local leaders said, Nancy, you don't understand that this is the best day of their lives. And it's, you know, it just propels me to keep moving forward, right? I don't wanna, um, I'm super proud that we've been able to distribute 60,000 lights you know, in eight years, but I'm like, that's not enough. And it motivates me to wake up every more every morning and share my story. Like this sitting here for me is outside of my comfort level. But I know at the end of the day, it's their joy and it's their hard work that motivates me. So it's, uh, you know, and, and you go back and you, you just see the joy in the children because they're able to study, they're able to change their lives. So it's, it's one of the biggest benefits to be able to see that firsthand. So I have a question regarding um, your nonprofit organization. Um, I understand that you started with 3,000 likes when you went to um, 1,000. So um, how are you able to find and process all of that as a nonprofit non organization? Well, the first time I took a little bit of a risk and I ordered the lights without having the money. So it's something that, you know, it, as a family, you know, it was a decision that we made. It, we didn't have the money to back it up, but I just, honestly, I felt like God was asking me to do it. And I had seen the, the burns and I just was compelled again, just like, I just think this is the right thing to do. And so when I first ordered the lights, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna bankrupt my family. But I started sharing my story and telling, telling people and slowly people started coming alongside of the vision. But I think because I had had that experience and I was able to speak firsthand of what I, what I had seen in the Philippines, kind of validated what I was saying. And then I also had a priest in the Philippines that I was partnering with. 
that I knew I was going back to so I could say, this is where I'm going. So when you look at starting a non-for-profit, I think invest in yourself, number one. Go and have the experience, go and see what you wanna do and create your own story. And, and then I think people will buy into you and they'll buy into your story. What would you say if your strategy would be to continue to receive donations? And the follow up question would be what advice would you give to someone who wants to start a charity? Can you repeat that? I'm so oh, sorry, I couldn't. Actually, um, oh, what is your strategy for continuing to like receive donations in order to like uh, make sure your company like continues to run? Yeah. So like how do you like target that audience? Yeah, great. Um, as well as what advice would you give to someone who wants to start a charity? Yeah, so I created uh, this thousand day scaling plan. And I lit literally have a one piece of paper. Because if you say you're bringing water, people go, oh, I get it. Or I'm bringing shoes, they understand that, or food. But when you say light, and you're like, they can do this, they can, you know, there's so much to that. So I want it to make a one page very easy to follow. And the other thing is I'm, I'm just gonna believe that everybody wants to participate. So in the thousand days for the 17,000 lights, it's about $800,000. So every donor that I meet with, I'm gonna ask them for $800,000, about $250,000 a year is my ask. And I'm like, if you can't do that, what part can you, you know, this is what I'm going for. This is my goal every year. And then, you know, what if yours is $1,000 a month, then great. Then I'm just going to find, you give them the big vision, but a lot of different areas that they can enter in. Now, what I can tell you is because we do that, it also gives corporations a tangible thing. People want to see that they're having an impact. So I say, okay, your lighthouse, your $250,000 a year is going to go to this area. So it's very specific and it's this many lights. They're all measurable. So I came up with that thousand day scaling plan. It's a, basically a business plan. And that's what I use. That's, that's what I ask every single person, even if they're $25 a month donor, they're going to get the same ask and the same the same numbers that everybody does because that's our goal so whatever your goal is go for it and you can get my email from brian walsh we'll i'll talk to you <laughs> all right uh well we want to get to uh, a very important part of the night which is the raffle i believe we're going to show a quick video first and then uh, we're going to do a drawing. Every night, when the sun goes down, nearly one billion people live in complete darkness. Many of them are forced to turn to toxic kerosene as their solution. This deadly and expensive fuel source 
is responsible for causing severe burns, as well as diseases such as lung cancer and tuberculosis. A family's limited income goes up in smoke, financially crippling them, along with their local community. Kerosene use is responsible for pumping more than a quarter of a million tons of black carbon into the atmosphere every year. But what if I told you there is a solution? solution that is empowering people through financial literacy and the gift of a solar light. Training and equipping families with education and a solar light, which will eradicate their kerosene dependency. A solution which allows them to increase work hours to increase study time, livelihood programs like weaving, baking, sewing, and fishing. What if I told you Watts of Love provides this solution to communities around the world, reaching the hidden poor? That isn't as simple as it seems, and getting there is no easy task. But Watts of Love doesn't shy away from the challenge. They chase after and are founded on fake dreams. organization setting out to light the world and end global poverty. What does that look like? Longer work hours, increased productivity, more opportunity, more cows, more sheep, more chickens, more pigs, more freedom, more smiles, more love. I told you this was all possible through a solar light. Would you help be a light in the darkness?
All right, I All believe right. we're ready. Uh, again, special thank you, uh, Nancy Picamo, our guest from Chicago today. Amazing story. You inspire me and all of us, so thank you. Ben, one of our great young alums that's doing amazing stuff. We'll give him a hand, too, for... I'm going to hand this over to you. Five years ago, I had the privilege of going on um, a mission trip with Nancy and one of my daughters, our daughters, uh, to Haiti. It was um, a life-changing experience. Uh, whoever wins this tonight, I'm sure that will be as well. If you don't win, and obviously most of you don't get to go on this trip, please support Watts in other ways. And, and sure enough, uh, hopefully down the road, you can, you can go with Nancy on one of these amazing trips. So with that, I'll hand it to you and you can take it from here. All righty, drum roll. That's one. Okay, Robert McKenna. All right. All right. All right, and that is a wrap on season four, episode two, my live interview in front of an audience with Nancy Economo. Guys, I had so much fun recording this. Um, Doing a show in front of a live audience is something that I want to do more often. Um, so we are going to plan some of these out around the country. Stay tuned for that. We do have some guests lined up for that. Um, just also bear in mind that that is so much more planning, a lot more work, uh, and it's very expensive to do. Um, when we do start releasing those and setting those up, uh, we may or may not sell tickets. Still figuring that part out. But guys. Thank you so much for listening. Nancy Economo, probably one of my favorite guests that I've had on. She's truly changing the world. Um, so if you want to check out some of her stuff, please go to wattsoflove.org and please consider donating to some of the stuff that she's doing. These lights are truly changing people's lives. Um, I seriously have not found another nonprofit that is this impactful this quickly as Watts of Love. Guys, I really hope that you enjoyed my interview as much as I did. If you want to check out more episodes of TOTS, you can do that on our website, totspodcast.com. You can also listen to us anywhere that you listen to music or podcasts, but our big three are Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. That is where you can get all of our information. Please follow us on social media. We have TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The main place that you're going to want to follow is our Instagram. That's where I release all of the new episodes and new updates along with those links. All of those can be found at TotsCast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. You allow me to do what I love to do, which is record and do really cool episodes like this. I hope you have a fantastic day and I will see you next time.